It's the year 2021, and the church is acting like it is 2019. That's the last year there wasn't a global pandemic. One year into this gig, we are doing our best to help the church into a post-pandemic future. We are Zoom pastors for our landline church. This is the Millennial Pastors Podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. My name is Eric Parker. And I'm Courtney Reedman Parker. And today we are looking at the pandemic year. We're coming up to the one year anniversary of many churches being shut down to in-person gatherings. And so much has changed. And the church has adapted to many new things. And yet the pandemic is far from over with slow vaccine rollouts, variants, and a predicted third wave this winter, what will year two of pandemic ministry look like? That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so it's been a year since this, uh, I guess, this pandemic has started. Maybe not quite a year, but over a year since COVID-19 came on the scene. And uh, pretty close to a year to when all the lockdowns started for uh, many churches and cities and peoples all over the world. And uh, it's hard to imagine what um, life was like a year ago. Hard to think back and remember that last Ash Wednesday before uh, the pandemic. And it feels like a lifetime ago, a whole different world. Yeah, but I think the other thing was we were a little late here in our geographical context because I remember colleagues in the States talking about COVID-19 and what they were doing in their churches and how they were planning and preparing well in advance of what we were doing here in Canada and, and thinking that it all seemed maybe almost even unnecessary, like panicky, right? That why why there were these conversations happening when there didn't seem to be anything happening in our communities, right? It was still something that was happening on the other side of the world, on other continents from us. And I remember even a, a close friend and colleague talking about the seriousness of this and having people in in her parish who who work in the medical field and who work for international organizations and saying like this is really serious and really having a hard time grasping the reality of that because we were having midweek soup suppers days before we went into lockdown. Yeah, we had our last Lenten midweek service supper and we were all sort of joking about how we shouldn't, you know, touch each other's food or share utensils and little did we know at that time sort of how potentially risky what we were doing actually was. Of course, there weren't any reported cases of COVID-19 in our province yet, but but 
it's sort of inconceivable to imagine the cavalier attitude that we had towards this global pandemic. But it didn't take long for things to change. And I remember the thing that changed in my mind, I was watching a hockey game and midway through it was announced that the NBA had canceled their season. And and for whatever reason, that just made it feel sort of real and serious all of a sudden that this was not just going to be sort of like, you know, these, well, these other pandemics that have come, Ebola, Zika, right? Things that are just on the news, but never really come close to home. Or these other, you know, once in a while, these, these news reports of scientists discovering some new virus somewhere in the world and, and it being potentially dangerous, and then nothing ever comes of it. So, you know, this past year has shown us that sometimes something does come of it. And certainly has the capacity to change a lot of things. Well, and I wonder if that's why, particularly in our context, why it has been so difficult for for some people more than others to ma- to manage, right? To to adapt to um to have a long view of what it means to be living in the midst of a global pandemic right that um we got through the first 3 weeks of of lockdown and then it went into week 4 and week 5 and for a lot of us we kept holding out hope right of well when we get back together in our churches, we that's when we'll have Easter, right? And that's when we'll have the big celebration. And we've long abandoned those plans, right? But we continue to see people have such a hard time with what should be, in my mind, pretty basic pandemic protocol at this point we've been we've been living with this for a year but as we sort of think back to oh what were our attitudes a year ago then it makes more sense about why it's so difficult for people because we we haven't lived through this before we haven't had to make these very significant changes to every aspect of our lives and our relationships and our work and ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think a year ago, there was certainly a lot of solidarity. We're just going to do this for a a short amount of time, and that's going to uh, bring us all together. We'll do it, and then we'll be over it. A year on, and there's sort of divi- there's a divide between people who are still waiting for this to end next week, and still sort of crossing their fingers, hoping that everything goes back to normal next week, and people who are like, "How are we going to live into this new reality?" And sometimes, you know, sometimes we ha- we're both those people at the same time, right? Some days it's like this needs to be over now. And other days, it's like, okay, so how can I start reimagining how we're going to do things like this spring, this summer? You know, we're going to have a, another pandemic summer, which could be very different than last summer. So what are the possibilities for ministry for this? 
And even as I think about them and plan for them, recognizing that uh, none of them might actually happen because the pandemic has a habit of throwing curveballs and changing what's possible, you know, week to week, month to month. And that's part of the thing of living, living as if this is going to end next week, because it does change sometimes week to week in terms of how it's impacting our lives. And so certainly one of those things might be it's over, but it's not going to be that. And I think that's actually not really on the table anytime soon, even as, you know, people are getting shots in arms and we're supposedly getting closer to, to some sort of life as normal as the scientists tell us. And so I've heard a lot of people online, colleagues online, that's the only, I don't see any colleagues in person these days, so. Well, you see me, I'm a colleague. Colleagues online. Talk about how, you know, we've come up to the second Lent and how this Lent from 2020 never ended. And so we've been doing not five weeks, but 50 weeks of Lent this year. And and there is, you know, uh, some truth to that, that Lent has felt, we have felt Lenty for the last year, even as we've gone through all the church seasons now. They've all had a Lenty, a purple hue to the the other colors you know well sure it's absolutely colored right it has colored the way in which we have approached every liturgical season every feast day every festival every uh celebration in in our church communities and outside of those community of of that community right in our lives is navigating and figuring out what this looks like in the midst of pandemic. Yeah, I mean, there's been themes of wilderness have been lifted up. You know, as far back as last summer, I remember hearing talking people talking about the wilderness of the pandemic. And so certainly wilderness is a Lenten theme. And so it feels like, yeah, we've been wandering around in the wilderness. I wonder if this is like, you know, year one of the 40-year exodus for the Israelites. We're just getting going in the wilderness, and we've got a ways to wander before we actually get anywhere. This year, for my Ash Wednesday sermon, I also sort of reflected on um, the fact that this is maybe, in in some ways, a year-long Lent, but also in some ways a year-long Ash Wednesday, in the sense that Ash Wednesday is this really solid or clear reminder of our mortality with the ashes and in many ways the news social media it's all been clear reminders of our mortality on a nightly basis right you know case counts death counts death rates and and it's just been sort of like a year-long ash wednesday remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return that everybody is vulnerable in this pandemic world there's no nobody who gets to escape or hide from it that we're all sort of um sitting ducks so to speak and so this year-long ash wednesday has been sort of speaking to me but i do recognize the themes of wilderness uh are out there and this wilderness experience is certainly part of 
what we've been going through the, for the past year. Yeah, we had taken some time in the summer. Our our kids discovered their story Bibles, and our daughter will only read Jesus' crucifixion. If you're lucky, she'll also let you read the Easter story with her, but if it's up to her, the only story that she wants to hear from from her story Bible is the day Jesus died. Um, whereas our son was quite happy to just open it up from the beginning and start with the creation story and and work his way through. And and so we we get to the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and they're complaining, which I have always resonated with, right? Is the Israelites complaining to Moses and really struggling with why are we here? What does this mean? Where is God? Has God just left us, brought us out here to perish? And I I think there are many for whom we're a year in and this experience, this feeling of why? Right? What are we doing out here? Why are we here? Why are we doing all of these things when the moment, you know, we we think there is hope something else happens, right? We have a vaccine, but we don't have enough. We we have, you know, the vaccines are on the way, but oh now there's a variant and now there's another one and right? So there always seems to be that thing which crushes our spirits and our sense of hopefulness and and solidarity this reminds me of the story of the israelites right we're thirsty oh here's water from a rock now we're hungry here's man and quail oh there's snakes here's a snake to, a bronze snake to look at i mean it's just like there's always something else that comes along and sort of messes up the equilibrium that we ever find but um but you know I one thing I've really noticed about this wilderness is that it feels odd in the sense that wilderness I think about the Lent, the Lenten story in terms of Jesus in the wilderness and that feels like it's sort of going somewhere right Jesus goes in the wilderness to follow in the footsteps of the Israelites to follow in the footsteps of Moses and to sort of begin his ministry um but it's not always clear that we're going somewhere in this pandemic wilderness. And I wonder if that's more like the sort of 40 years of wilderness that the Israelites experienced, that they weren't always sure that they were actually going anywhere. And probably about year 37, they're like, oh boy, like this is just pointless. But, but you know, like, so, so there's this, you know, not just um, being stuck out in the wilderness, but going somewhere and we seem to be sort of moving between these two realities some days it's like we're actually going to go somewhere the world's going to change and the church is going to change and things are going to be different and other days it's just we're stuck and we're you know hiding under a rock and wilderness is actually you know some cave under the sand that we found to hide from the world in because because we don't want to be out there and face the dangers anymore. And so wilderness is this sort of two-sided experience where we're moving in and out of realities. And 
And it's not always clear that it's going to take us anywhere. It was interesting. We were having a conversation with clergy colleagues sometime in the last couple of weeks, and our bishop, Jason Zinko, said, are we wandering in the wilderness or are we just living in the woods? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, I mean, it has stayed, it has stayed with me. I preached about it the first Sunday in Lent. This idea of what does it mean to be in the wilderness? And you should all know I am not outdoorsy at all. <laughs> the idea of being <laughs> out, I don't want to live in the woods and I sure don't want to be out in the wilderness without my stuff, right? Which I think is part of the wilderness experience is being exposed, is being vulnerable, is not being able to rely on our own selves or our own ways or our customs. I mean, that's certainly what we hear when Jesus goes into the wilderness, right? That it, it's not just Jesus by himself, but that the Spirit descends on him and then drives him out there. And the, and the angels attend to him, right? That the angels are with him. So the sense that, you know, Jesus was not alone in that wilderness experience. And not just like that there was temptation there with him, but also that God was there with him. So God is with us. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if there's this new sort of skill that we're learning in the wilderness that might only help us in the wilderness, right? That it's not like a skill that's now going to be applicable for the rest of our lives. But it's a, it's the skill of wandering in the wilderness, the skill of being okay with plans, making plans, throwing plans out, being okay with things not going the way you want, being okay with like, well, we we thought we really toned down what we thought we could do, but even that's not possible now. And and so it's this this skill, right? This way of being in the wilderness. And I wonder if that's what we're sort of being trained for. And sure, I think there are aspects of that could help that could help us beyond. But I also wonder if it might help us see the ways in which, you know, we're going to escape the pandemic wilderness, but the church is not going to leave the wilderness that it's been in for quite a while before and will continue to be in quite a while after. That we're sort of going from wilderness to wilderness in this time and and this pandemic is actually sort of really forcing us to admit and practice these wilderness skills that we need to sort of navigate the wilderness and make it through intact and not just be crushed by it right to to learn how to let go and and move on and and look for look for the signs that remind us that we aren't alone in all of this well, and also that the wilderness can't really be controlled, right? I mean, I know, I know this much from watching reality TV shows about actual... A little alone for you. Outdoorsy yeah. people who are survivalists and have trained and have skill and expertise in this area of which I have 
I have none. I mean, my big outdoorsy thing that I did for myself was I bought myself a good pair of winter boots and snow pants this year, um, which I will boast about. But we we can't even even with skill, the <laughs> the forces of nature are going to take over even if we are the most practiced and the most skilled and the most equipped and have all of the plans right um that you just might not be able to find food and it's not because you're not a good hunter or fisher or forager right that sometimes it you're just unlucky yeah you can do everything right right you can make no mistakes you can do everything correct and right that you possibly could do and you could still sort of lose right you still you still don't still struggle to survive the wilderness you still have to tap out there's some i remember playing strategy board games with some friends in university and i hated them the ones that had random chance you rolled dice you could do everything right and you could still lose and i just hated that part of it and i think that you know i'm not the only one there's a lot of people who are sort of sick and tired of of the random chanceness, right? Of having to wander in the wilderness or even, you know, people are just sick and tired of the wilderness at all. Like just who cares? Who cares if there's still a virus, let's go back to life as normal. Cause, cause I can't take it anymore. It really seems like that's, you know, there's, there's a movement in that direction sort of in the world and, and maybe in some parts of the church too these days. Because it's hard, right? There's a movement because it is hard. And it's not just hard physically, and it's not just hard psychologically, and it's not just hard emotionally. It's hard in all of those areas and aspects of our lives. And that's before having to contend with with being sick, right? Like, we're talking at a level of you're not actually sick with COVID-19 or something else that's significant and debilitating, right? Like people for whom their surgeries have been postponed or canceled, right? Because the hospitals are making, are making space to ensure that they have ICU beds for for people, right? Um, that there's a whole other layer to which we're not we're not even touching in terms of people's wilderness experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Like it just um the wilderness can be crushing, right? The wilderness can can take everything you got and then some and it still wins. Right. And so yeah, I think people are just ready to to get back to normal and ready to get on with their lives and ready to just forget about the virus entirely. But that's just not the way it works, right? You can't negotiate with the virus. We seem to want to negotiate. Oh, we just give a little here. We can get a little there. The virus doesn't negotiate with us. So, But isn't that how we are with so much of the rest of our lives? And even in our churches, right? We've been, we've been negotiating for as long as we've been in pro- professional ministry positions and even before before that 
Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, this is sort of like the wilderness, the pre-pandemic wilderness that I was talking about, is that we have been thinking we can negotiate our way out of church change and what we usually call decline, right? Declining aging aging members, declining resources. Well, we just cut a little bit more. We just do a little bit more with a little bit less. We can still get by. And we're running out of, running out of room to negotiate with. And really, it's about running out of room to negotiate, you know, being able to not really change, that we can keep doing church the way we think we have been doing it for the last 40, 50 years, rather than actually maybe have to be changed ourselves and respond and act differently to the church. But this is, this is part of the wilderness. I think the wilderness, and even this pandemic wilderness, is really stripping us of all that stuff that we we wouldn't let go of and we wouldn't change and we wouldn't um, be different for it. the pandemic is finally putting us in a wilderness where we have to let go of that stuff and actually admit that, yeah, we got to do things differently if we're going to keep being the church together today. And that you don't have to like it. No, you right? Don't have, no, <laughs> you don't have to like it in order to actually do it. You can you can strongly dislike it. I might even encourage people, right, to embrace, yes, you don't like this, but we're doing it anyway. <laughs> like eating vegetables, right? Well, I like <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> but I think it is like those things in our life that we don't like, but know are necessary. And, and, you know, I just think it's that having to do those hard things, make those hard changes, right, demands a lot of us. It demands extra work, demands more emotional work, psych, you know, uh, uh, mental energy, right? It, it takes something out of us that we're not used to devoting to just being a community and just being church. That's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to come naturally. And you're not supposed to have to think about it too much or worry about it too much. And now we have to do those things to make it through. And and in this pandemic, we have to worry about everything and and devote energy to everything. And so it's just and everyone, right? Because we can't connect with people in the same way that we did before. It's both easier to connect with people in a online world and also harder. If you're navigating having to connect with a hundred families, yeah, online or some way that isn't in person, that is a lot simpler on Sunday morning in the receiving line as people come out of church or as they come into the church building and my office door is open and I can say good morning and ask how their week was and have a little chitty chat. We'll be right back after this message. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada. The Manitoba Northwestern Ontario, or MNO Synod, is one of five synods of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada, or ELCIC. The synod covers 54 congregations in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario, from Brandon, Manitoba in the west to Thunder Bay, Ontario in the east, 
and from Morris on the U.S. border to Thompson, Manitoba, bordering on Canada's north. For the baptized membership of 17,000, the m Synod is headquartered in Winnipeg. The Synod serves 64 congregations through the Ministry of the Bishop's Office and working in the areas of youth and young adult ministry, missions, outdoor ministry, social justice, ecumenical relations, stewardship, and guiding ordained ministers and congregations through call processes. The MNO Synod can be found online at mnosynod.org and on Facebook and on Instagram. Check them out if you want to find a congregation in the MNO or if you want to know more about their work. And check out dictionary.com if you want to know what the word synod means. talked about this like period of being in the wilderness and and one of the pieces that we keep coming back to is that this last year has been a lot like the first year in a new call or even your first year in ministry yeah I should be ashamed to admit this but I have done four first years in my 12 years Although that's getting to be a better ratio. Are you counting up your first years? <laughs> yeah, I've done five between regular calls and specialized service to interim ministry. I've now completed five. Yeah. And they're all a little bit different and they're all strangely similar. And I've said to people, because many people, I just came through my, my first anniversary in this uh, new, which maybe is not so new, call. And, and my parishioner saying, oh, what a difficult first year you've had. And I kept saying, well, actually, I've had worst first years places. Um, I've, I've never had a first year in a pandemic before, but I, I have had harder pieces in ministry to navigate. So what makes a first year so hard? I mean, I think it's that you are doing everything new for the first time, that you're always learning, you're always figuring things out, that you don't have established sort of practices or traditions. And in your first year of ministry, it's like the first time you've done any of this stuff. And Maybe you sort of watched it or were around for it on internship, but you weren't completely responsible for it like you are in your first year of ministry. And then in, you know, a new call, you actually, it also has this other dynamic of you have done this stuff before, but you haven't done it in the way that this new place does it before. And that sometimes can cause even, even bigger problems because you do have a way of doing it. It just happens to be the wrong way for the way the new place you're in. And so you're constantly sort of unlearning things you maybe had learned from before or convincing people that, hey, I have this way of doing this that's slightly different than the way you do it. So go with me here. And so it's this constant negotiation. But sometimes you can do things in exactly the same way it's been done before. And because you aren't the previous pastor, it's seen as being different. 
right? I mean, I've had that experience more than more than once, but you know, in in this particular call, I came I came out of Ash Wednesday service and somebody said, "We've we've never we've never done that piece of the service that way before." And I said, "Really? That's that's really interesting because I took last year's bulletin and based this year's service off of what you did last year, like right down to the instructions of how to gather around for communion. So there are all of these pieces that we're navigating and not just, you know, the way the way we do things, right? Like the way we've the systems we've developed and our preference as as people and pastors and leaders and also navigating those things in congregations. But then there's all the unwritten, unspoken, unconscious customs and traditions that congregations have that the people don't even know that they have, right? That you have to figure out on your own, usually by trial and error in that first year or more. I have an I'm new here card and I say I get to use it for my first for full liturgical year. So I have to go through every every season of the church year before I'm willing to give up the I'm new here card. I remember uh I don't know if you were if we were there together but one of our seminary uh you know get to know you retreats to kick off the year. Oh yes. We did this card game our our president I wasn't there for that. You've told me. You can tell the story. <laughs> he played we so we he had us all sitting tables. I know there's probably about 70 or 80 of us. And we all sat at tables of about 8 playing crazy eights. But then each table had three or four rules at the table that we had to follow. And then we weren't allowed to talk, so everything was silent. And the rules were sort of like, you know, a different trump card, so there'd be like a 2 would win or an eight or an ace or whatever or you know if you lost you would go to the table that's you know clockwise away from you but then every table had different rules and so there people would be coming from the wrong table to join your table and they would come and they would think they won because at their table they had a different winning card and you weren't allowed to talk and so you would just get aggravated by these people would come to your table and play with the wrong rules and you know after a few rounds of this you'd have like this really mixed up table where nobody was playing with the same rules and it just was really aggravating and and i remember at the time thinking like why are we doing this (laughs) this is just sort of annoying and then i got into the parish and i was like oh this is why we did this (laughs) because because yeah, there are these all these rules, unwritten conventions that people don't even know that they have, right? Like they think they're they think they that everybody's playing with their rules, and you show up and you have your rules that you think everybody's playing with, and it just so happens that your two sets of rules are not the same at all, and so you just get sort of aggravated because you never say them out loud. You never know that you need to actually say the rules and negotiate them out loud and so you just get frustrated or people don't know right sometimes we forget especially if you've been in a congregation for a really long time that not every congregation will do that particular thing that particular way 
And we've talked about this when we were in, in shared ministry and having to move from one congregation to another on the same Sunday and trying to plan and prepare worship and saying, you know, what do I need to know about your worship life and customs and habits? Oh, you know, we just do it right out of the book and not not knowing until after the first service that well actually this is how we do the lord's prayer and this is how we this is when we ring this bell and this is how we have this custom and and these things that are developed over time that you just you simply don't think of as being unique or special to your context often because that's the context you know and if you're not worshiping in another in another place, how would you know that another congregation does it in a slightly, slightly different way or not at all? Right. So now we're in this pandemic and we're all doing the first year together, like not just, not just a new pastor. It's everybody is doing a new church, <laughs> the first year in a new church together. It's like a mission plant. Right. Which which are great when they don't have any baggage, but we all have a bunch of baggage we're bringing from our last church to this new mission plan together, <laughs> and we're not really over that last place yet. So, or we don't actually <laughs> want to be in the mission plant, right? Yeah. Like for some people, they don't actually want to be in this place where we are, right? And so we can't. It's you know, in a first call, usually you find some people that you can sort of you know, as much as possible, lean on for information, right? How do you do this here? Like, this is what I do for Christmas Eve. What do you guys do for Christmas Eve? But but in this pandemic year, right, there's no no one to lean on. And so actually when leading, I noticed as, as colleagues here in MNO Synod, we've been leaning on each other, looking ahead, you know, what do you guys, what are you going to do for Christmas this year? What are you going to do for Easter? What are you going to do for Pentecost? You know, what are you going to do for holidays? How are you going to take some time off? Like all these little things and figuring it out together. Um, but you can't, it's, you can't really lean on each other in the sense that you have somebody you can go to to tell you how it's done. You have to sort of figure out, figure things out new for the first time and, and give up some of the things that the, the things that we've done in the past, we had to give them up, right? We had to, like, this worked last year. This has worked for the last 15 years I've been here. But this year, it's not going to work, and I have to give it up. So I'm wondering, as you're saying this, you know, we have the, the benefit of being able to have those conversations with colleagues, right? And flesh some of that stuff out and talk about the things that are both you know, exciting and frustrating and anxiety producing. And I'm wondering how our congregations are able to do that, right? I know that our synod put together, our, our bishop and assistant to the bishop put together some, some forums over Zoom with congregational leadership, council, council members who were invited to these sessions to be able to talk about what was happening and how they were doing. And I know at least for, 
for the members from my own congregational council who went, it was really helpful. And I think a big part of that was just knowing and, and hearing from and seeing other people who were going through the same thing, right? Oh, you are also in the wilderness. You are also trying to figure out how to navigate these guidelines and public health orders and and many varying ideas and wants and desires and fears about what we should be doing and who we are and what our needs are all at the same time. I think you know there there just isn't a lot of space for those conversations even you know, pre-pandemic, we had after church where people checked in with one another. And now even that has sort of gone by the wayside and it's really hard to to check in as communities of faith, right? If you don't have built-in mechanisms like clergy meetings, it's really hard to keep checking in on one another. Yeah. Well, and I think also the the buy-in, right? That the ways that we do have to do that are are useful right and and investing the time and the energy to be able to build community in this new way because at least i've noticed with our with our clergy gatherings over zoom it's taken time to establish that level of collegiality and and again vulnerability and also reliance on one another right this idea that like oh i don't have to have all the answers i don't have all the answers i i might learn something or i might gain something or have a perspective that i hadn't considered um from asking some other people who are also thinking and planning and doing these things I mean, I had a I had a congregation that it took me five years of like just subtly, gently pitching the idea of having coffee after church more often, <laughs> because their only memory of it was that it was a lot of work to like make the coffee and clean it up. And then they started just once a month coffee together, and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And and. You know, to think about like a congregation that is struggling with whether or not to have coffee after church, like basically a few years after that is now, are we going to have church and coffee on Zoom or on YouTube or on Facebook, right? And and all these kinds of questions, like, you know, most congregations are just not, we're not prepared for this level of like change in the ways that they gathered and functioned as a community. Well, sure. If you think about how long decisions typically get made, like how long it takes for a decision to get made in a congregational context, right? Years. (laughs) Years in the making. The changes are made slowly and over time, and there's usually a lot of conversation and discernment and deliberation and decision making maybe even some tension and arguing right and and all of that needs to happen before making changes and that's just simply not been the case in this past year and 
and likely won't be for year two either because of the nature of what pandemic ministry is like. Right. I mean, we just, things just have to happen. Decisions have to be made. Um, And it just has to, you know, we just have to keep going in some way and choose some path, not really knowing if it's going to be the right one or if it's going to work or, you know, if Facebook is going to crash your service this week or, you know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And you just sort of, you know, cross your fingers and, and pray that, that the Holy Spirit will give you something to, to go with. But it's not easy to do that week in, week out, right? I think as as communities of faith, we're maybe used to doing that once in a generation, not every week for for you know, week after week, month after month. A really good friend of ours who is also a colleague said to me at our first call program, which is a continuing education program that we take in our first three years of ministry, said to me we were out for a walk on our free time and she said I will tell you this, you only have to do your first year in ministry once. You'll have other first years in other parishes, and but you'll never have to do your very first year again. This has been our first year in pandemic ministry. It, it won't be the same, hopefully, right? Uh, year two of pandemic ministry won't be the same as year one from a leadership perspective because we've done it before. We're getting some of those wilderness wandering skills for for just this time. So, so what are we learning the second time around? We're going into second Lent. We're probably going to have a second Easter. Maybe some people will be in person. Maybe some will be online. You know, Manitoba had a pretty pandemic-free summer, but I have a feeling with the variants and, you know, higher degrees of transmissibility that that's not for sure a guarantee this year with, you know, just being outside, solving all our problems of being able to gather together. And so, so what are we learning the second time around, knowing that we're still going to be contending with a pandemic, but also that we've done this before at least once? Well, I hope baseline is that we're learning that it's not just going to disappear that we will return to a normal, but it will not be the normal we left behind. That's what it will mean to come out of the wilderness to a different place. You may be in the same place, like may come back to the same physical building or location, but we will be changed. We will be transformed. Our experience of life and faith and ministry will all be in a different place. Well, and I, you know, I think about one of the things that I'm thinking about the second time around is that, you know, we don't know how long it's going to be um, 
until things sort of go back to normal. But that you know, last year, I remember sort of wanting to, how can I sort of put something that is as familiar as possible in our online services? How can we just sort of do what we were doing before? Maybe a few things have to be canceled, a few things have to be changed. But how do we actually change as little as possible was my early on sort of unconscious attitude towards pandemic ministry. And this year, I'm thinking about things that I'm willing to just be a little bit more free with what could be possible, right? You know, if we go back to in-person services before we're all vaccinated, before the pandemic's over, do we need to do them every week? Do we need, you know, can we do like a monthly sort of in-person service and then other things on the other weeks or or have different sort of options, you know, um, different ways of, of doing some ministry? You're not just always trying to recreate what we were before, but but recognizing that we won't actually be creating what we're going to be that we're doing some sort of wilderness thing for now. We've called it hybrid ministry before, but it's a wilderness thing for now. And that's okay for it to be sort of wild and wacky and and weird and for it to work for now and not work for the future and and or maybe even not work now. Maybe it's something that won't work now, but we'll try it to see if it does because our options are actually limited in terms of the things that we know usually work but we just can't do that now. Well, and to think both, you know, what is what is possible and also what do people need? And then how do we do that thing? How do we pro- how do we provide for that need? How do we address that need? How do we care for people within their needs and support them? And so that doesn't always mean doing the the thing, right? Or providing the thing, but but holding space for that and directing people to where there are resources, right? It's not us having to do all of the things all of the time. And, and, you know, the things that we're used to, the ways in which we're used to meeting needs don't have to be the only solutions, right? I think about this need, you know, people are really going to need community. We need community now. We've needed community for a year. We're going to need community going forward, relationships. And so we get to a point in in our sort of, especially our pandemic um, spring and summer coming up, where we can gather to some degree outside. You know, our our default as churches is, well, okay, let's have worship. Let's just do worship, worship, worship. Maybe people just need to come hang out together and chit-chat, right? We'll do online worship, and then we'll come and hang out together after. And it's simple and it's easy. And maybe that conversation with that person that you used to talk to, you know, once a month before the pandemic, after church, is something that you really needed to have again, right? It's been it's been a year and a half since you last really had a chit chat with this person, but you didn't realize you just needed to connect. And if we're doing all the worship protocols and all the all that stuff, right? either doing it outdoor or trying to do it safely inside or whatever it is, we don't get those opportunities to just have that socially distanced, you know, lawn visit like you can with your neighbor. And, and, you know, people in our churches are our neighbors too. 
but often they're not our next door neighbors or the people we just see walking down the street and especially in urban centers. So, you know, reimagining and being willing to think that maybe the way the defaults that we have are not the ways that we have to meet needs and and help people through this time. Yeah, the thing I've been thinking of are what are the systems do we have in place? What are the systems we need to put in place? And what are the systems we need to let go of or leave behind? What are the things that aren't working for us now? Or maybe weren't working for us before, but we continued to do because that's what we were comfortable doing and we didn't know how to not do them. We didn't have know how to do nothing. We didn't know how to let go. Yeah. Yeah. And I... And I think, I think too, asking the question, what are the risks that we're worth, that, that we're willing to, or what are the risks that are worth taking? And I don't mean only in terms of, of the virus, but in terms of our ministry together, what are the risks we are willing to take for the sake of the gospel in our life, in community together, here, today, now? Absolutely. We, you know, what are the, how are we willing to sort of let go of, of things that we've held on to so tightly? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard, and, and it's been a year of letting go of things, and or being forced to let go of things, or you know, letting go for them in all practical ways, but not letting go in any sort of psychological or emotional ways. And now we really have to do that hard work of setting those expectations aside well because this hasn't just been like we haven't just been living in the woods right and so living in the woods means that you can just like come come out and put your you know outdoorsy things back into storage until the next time you go into the woods and then just carry on right resume as normal it's not wandering in the wilderness, right? It's not no. that new skill. Yeah. No, it's going and having some sort of like break, right? Oh, won't these two weeks at home be wonderful? We'll get so much done. We can get organized. This is actually going to be really helpful, right? Like this is just going to be really helpful um, instead of, right? What does it mean to be changed from the inside out? And so what does it mean to, to walk in newness of life as a, as a changed, transformed child of God, right? Community as part of the body of Christ. And we spend a lot of time, and I use the royal we, right? The royal we in church spend a lot of time worried about all the ways we're not enough. Right? We don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have what we used to have. All the while forgetting or neglecting what we have right in front of us. Or not taking advantage of the people or the places or the opportunities that God has put right in front of us. So, pandemic year two is coming up. Now is the chance to take advantage of all those opportunities. 
Well, why don't we leave this uh, conversation about a pandemic year ministry and what year two is going to bring and how to be different. We'll leave that conversation for today, but I'm sure it's one that uh, that we could keep on going for quite a while about. Uh, but maybe you and I don't need to keep on going right now. Well then, uh, where can people find you if they're looking for you online? If you are looking for me online, you can find me on Instagram at C. Reedman Parker on Facebook, either on my personal page at Courtney Reedman Parker or over at my church's page at Messiah Lutheran Winnipeg or on Twitter at Reedman Parker. How about you, Eric? You can find me on Twitter at Parker Eric. You can find me at the Millennial Pastors Facebook page, Eric Reedman Parker on Facebook, Sherwood Park Lutheran Church Facebook page, and the millennialpastor.ca for our blog and for this podcast, which you already have found because you're listening to it. The Millennial Pastors podcast is written and produced by us, the Reverend Courtney Reedman Parker and the Reverend Eric Parker, with our theme song provided by Lutheran Outdoor Ministry in Alberta in the North. All other music provided by audionautic.com. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod, whom you can find at mnosynod.org. This has been a couple of Zoom pastors for a landline church. We will see you on the other side. Bye for now.